to Across the Margin, the podcast, where we take you beyond the margin, behind the scenes of the online magazine, and deeper into the stories. I'm your host, Michael Shields, and what we have here today is the final episode of 2018. And with that, I want to begin with expressing gratitude for all the listeners out there, as you are the foundation that this whole thing is built on. I want to thank everyone who helps me bring the podcast to life. It might sound like it's just me making all this happen uh, from behind the mic here, but I am not alone, and thanks everyone, thanks to everyone who is involved out there. Couldn't do it without you. Uh, Thank you to all the guests we have had on. I am beyond humbled who I've had the opportunity to speak with, so thank you for uh, all for talking with me, enlightening me, and helping me inform and spread the word about some pretty important topics, and also just have a great deal of fun. And so, for this final episode of 2018, we decided to dedicate this episode to something we are deeply passionate about here at Across the Margin, and that is music. Since day one, almost seven years ago now, we have always focused a great deal of energy on music, whether it's through album reviews, our year-end best-of countdown, interviews with musicians, or our 20 20 years later series, music gets a great deal of love over here. And to close this year, we'd like to celebrate the music of 2018, another remarkable year of musical musical offerings. Before we dive in, just a reminder that Across the Margin, the podcast, is part of the Osiris Podcast Network. I can say confidently, confidently that there is no other music-centric podcast community that exists like Osiris, a place where you can come upon podcasts that celebrate a diverse offering of musical genres and artists. One of the most special things about Osiris, to me, is all the musical discovery that can occur throughout the network. Podcasts like Alternate Routes, Inside Out, The Sound Podcast, Beyond the Pond, more on that show in a minute, and Burning Ambulance act as a portal to exciting new music of all kinds. So check out OsirisPod.com. They got the goods over there. So... As I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the ways that we celebrate music at Across the Margin is an annual Top 50 Countdown. Um, It's our choice of the best albums of the year, is kind of what we've been spinning the most. Um, You can find that list right now at acrossthemargin.com. There's also a Spotify playlist uh, if you want to get involved there. And I am uh, fortunate to have one of the architects of that list with me right now, an editor here at Across the Margin, the head of its arts department, a former and hopefully future co-host of this podcast, Chris Thompson. What's up, Chris? Mike, how's it going? Nice to be here. Yeah, live and direct, early morning from Portland. I appreciate oh, yeah. making, the, making the time. You know I know how we do it out west. Yeah, uh, I know we worked real hard on kind of 
piecing together our top 50 list together. It's always a uh, it's always a challenge because of you know the annual bounty of uh, music each year. Um, I was I was wondering just to, to start real quick uh, if you could speak generally on the music that affected you in 2018. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I you know I'll have to um, amplify that comment you said about just like the bounty of music. I, I just feel like every year since we started doing this, it's just been getting more and more incredible. Just like the where we're sourcing the music from the quality of it and i've just been like super excited to you know be at this point in my life where i'm just really like enjoying um discovering it consuming it you know making it a part of my daily routine and everything and i you know urge anyone who loves music to just practice that daily because i really think there's a lot of power in music um but uh yeah just speaking to just like the nature of it in 2018 you know i really felt that there was um so there are two things going on for me one was it was just like a lot of the bands that really I look to to put out music for me, some of my favorite bands, and I know that we have similar tastes, so I'd say maybe some of our favorite bands, they didn't drop albums this year, so that left sort of a vacuum for other people to, um, for me to explore other um, artists and singer-songwriters and just other um, creative people who I hadn't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't normally explore because I would just be looking for, you know, these bands that I love and waiting for their album to drop and just spending time with it all year. So there was a bit of a vacuum for me and just some great bands stepped in um, and uh, I was really excited to uh, discover some some new talent um, from just, um, you know, singer-songwriters to uh, large um, bands of many members and just everything in between. And so there was a big excitement there for me of discovery, but also um, on, a, on a deeper level, there was just like, I think we spoke of this into our article um, about this cathartic nature of music and how I really felt, uh, maybe for me personally, but I felt there was a vibe out there that I tapped into, um, maybe just like <clears throat> um, globally or just culturally, that there was just a lot of them the music I was listening to it had a message that I think was all about just like helping people to sort of just make sense of the world these days and sort of like, you know, if, if, if you needed something to lean on, hey, this music is here for you to help you out, you know, um, and, and I, I really definitely um, uh, let it do that for me in many different ways in, in, in my life this year. I, you know, I, I was sort of, uh, you know, I, I just turned 40 and like I, I have all these new changes in my life and um you know, music was there for me, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy for that. And it helped me just uh, rediscover parts of myself. It helped me sort of uh, get through some things, and I think that's part of the power of music. And I'm really excited this year that there was just some really talented, really moving songs and albums out there that were there for me. Um, and I just think that that's just such an amazing thing. Yeah, I always uh, lean on music for an escape, and I think right. that. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the words "tapped into." Uh, I, I think that. Uh, many people embrace that idea this year, and you know whether it's the artist creating the music, knowing that it could act as a cathartic release in these kind of kind of odd times, and just you know there's a lot of divisiveness out there, just just weird vibes. Uh, at least yeah. I'm coming upon, and you know music again, just uh, allowing for an outlet of a uh, uh, you know just joy, which is something right. that, you know we kept continually discussing as we were you know. Uh, sharing music with each other throughout the year and yeah that, I love that you say that it's definitely something that music uh, provides to me any uh, any album in particular or band in particular that, that jumped out at you you know filled that void um, you know that you were mentioning I like that idea too that I, you know bands that you usually love or artists uh, not creating music creating opportunity right. elsewhere that's really right. really cool but right. uh, any bands in specific you want to speak on yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I will say this year was probably more than any other year was a year where I 
was talking up music. Anytime I was with a group of people, uh, friends or new people, I was always being like, hey man, this is a cool band I found out this year. Check this out. It's doing a lot for me. And so like, I, I really was, I think this year I was like one of these goodwill ambassadors of music and I was just spreading the word to all the cool stuff I found because it was just a really exciting year for me for music. Nice. But uh, one of the bands that I, I talked up to a lot of people, maybe to uh, um, uh, my detriment maybe because they got tired <laughs> of me talking about it, but um there's this uh, Houston-based uh, instrumental trio, um, oh, uh, yeah. nice. and there's this band, and I, I'm gonna hopefully get the name right because I, I, I'm always intimidated by the spelling of it. Um, but it's called Karangben, um, and it, it's actually a, a Thai word, which I believe is sort of loosely translated as airplane. Um, so, um, but they have this really great like psychedelic vibe, um, and um, they create this sort of this um, type of music that just like as you listen to it it just never seems to fade away it's sort of just like it, it, there's like this atmosphere to it and this beauty to it and it's it's a lot of it is instrumental and for me you know like I I appreciate instrumental music but I, I'm, I'm definitely a lyric guy but for this year like this band I mean they just have this this style of music that is just guitar heavy it's got a real uh, pared down drum um, so it's almost just like it, it's almost like not even there but it just works so brilliantly and then um, the um, the basses is just phenomenal and she just lends these these riffs every uh, every now and then are just great and they incorporate like whispering and like shared like whispered vocals and there's just like a, a, a slowed down psychedelic vibe to it but there's also this awesome component to it, which is like it's like a redefining of the phrase like world music and like I, I I really feel like for a long time world music has really not been given the sort of credit it deserves because there's some sort of stigma on it and they sort of have just like brought this world music concept to a whole new level it, their stuff is super inclusive um, I just feel like um, their album this year is called Con Todo El Mundo which basically translates as you know um, with the whole world um, you know, and it's just like, it, it really is a great um, uh, message for the kind of music they're trying to create. It, it's for everybody. It's super approachable. Um, um, I, I can't imagine anyone not putting it on and just wanting to just close their eyes and just sort of just go someplace with it. Um, and, you know, like their album before before this one um, in 2015, it was called The Universe Smiles Upon You. So it had this cool like Thai funk going on. Um, and uh, uh, so they just got this really, this really great vibe. And I, I actually found them because um I, I listen to pitchfork live a lot on youtube i think it's a great streaming resource for music discovery and i don't know who the audio guys were on that recording but it is just amazing i mean the audio is just right on and i basically i think put that on every day at work um i do a lot of graphic design these days i do a lot of creative things um and I, I, that was just like my groove every day at work i would put that album on and um it just sort of took me away to just wonderful places so yeah uh check them out Krangbin, and their album was called con todo el mundo that was just a big one for it's me really, this year. it's really awesome and you know, i'd love to see the buzz around the album and i've also watched them uh kind of you know blow up a little bit they they went they went here yeah. in new york from playing some smaller venues to to playing uh this venue brooklyn steel which you know can kind of pack, pack them in oh. so they've uh yeah i know we've, we've been there together. yeah uh, it's, yeah, yeah it's, that they, place. you know they've, they've got a lot of exposure this year and they deserve all that hype right. I, I agree with you so let's talk our uh top five real quick the, the cream of the crop sure. i know uh we have phosphorescence new album there which i i that deeply oh. affected me there's there's a couple, there's a couple jams yeah. on uh, the tail end of their songs. Um, there's one where it's kind of like a crowd rock jam at the end of it that 
Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of like a new direction to some yeah. of his music. I, like, I, I really appreciated it. It yeah, was great. Really, yeah, really cool album. I couldn't recommend that more. Um, we did we Janelle Monae's Dirty Computer. That was one of oh. our favorites. Uh, described as our one of our contributors, Maggie Saxon, as a brave and enticing masterpiece. Where we hear a vulnerable Monet on the album, as heard on the gentle, so afraid, but also one who is proud and confident, as heard on tracks like yeah. "I Like That" and "Crazy Classic Life." Uh, she really is so talented. Man, she, like she reminds me of like, um, like I, I see like some Janet Jackson in there, and like her creativity and just sort of being out there, like you know, like she's just like. She's like just pushing these crazy limits and like just doing really cool stuff. I, I love that she's a pansexual woman. I love that she's confident in her femininity. Like that's another thing I, I think that I wanted to speak to was there was a lot of great female artists this year that like I, I just really enjoyed. Um, and um, I'm so excited for that. Um, and, and like you know, it, it's about time that like you know all these powerful women step up and just blow us away with it with their music. And it, it was just it was fantastic. I think that she is like super talented. And we're gonna hear like so much more from her her videos are are just amazing they're just like mm -hmm. works of art and like i i love an artist who can like bring that that um creativity and that power to the music but then they can just hit me on the back end with this like with like the production they do in terms of like their music video because i really feel like I, I get a visual version of the music that i'm listening to and it just creates a whole new level of appreciation and i just think that she has like that 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 um that talent you know that sort of just seems to be like just oozing out of her and like everything she touches is, is just like I, I want to just I want to be a part of it I want to check it out I want to be inspired by it I, I just like want to linger in it I, I think she's super talented and I, her album Dirty Computer was, was just she's, great I mean I, she's a national treasure if you ask me so those were our yeah. five yeah, definitely. four three we had Spiritualized album which just that that knocked my socks off that's incredible uh, yeah. two David Byrne still doing it he, I just I can't believe oh. uh, the level at which he's performing I can't believe that what like 90 plus world tour he went on with uh, uh, yeah. 66 years old and killing just, it still it's spectacular and then uh to um, our number one album, which we agreed on, which is really cool. Uh, that doesn't always happen over here. Uh, yeah, yeah, Washington's yeah. Heaven and Earth. That uh, I right. actually put it on first thing this morning. It's, it's, I, as I do. It oh, nice. It takes me on such a journey. It's um, it's an album that's like steeped in a dualism of ideas. One being the reality we know, which is Earth, and the the other, the idyllic world beyond heaven, like what we can be. And uh, it's uh, uh, right. such such a cool album. So you, that that affected you as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I actually I'm actually hoping I maybe get that on vinyl for Christmas because I'm I'm just I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it and just just the artist in general. I mean, he uh, when he came on the scene a few years ago, um, I was just blown away and I was just like, yes, like it's I, I'm excited that somebody who plays like a saxophone but yeah. leads a band. It is like can get such recognition and you know and that's been building too you know um this this new album heaven and earth like you talk about there's a duality there which is very present and you know like i'm just so um excited that you know this i mean this album is just amazing you know like and, and you know like i i found i was drawn to it on two levels one is just like a technical like just like how well executed it was how produced it was how like it felt like every note like was exactly where it needed to be. Like I like I and then and then I I brought the next level, which was like the visceral emotional level to it. You know, so I felt it hit on both, on you know on, on both levels. You know, and for me, you know, uh, sometimes you know when, when I when I'm working on like deciding you know these albums, I, I do have like an emotional component to. It. I have an attachment sometimes because sometimes it's one of my favorite bands who's put out an awesome album, and we want to put them up there 
because it's just that great, you know. But this one is me, like you know, like I, I like Kamasi Washington, but like this year, my appreciation for him just just blossomed and grew after just spending time with this album. And like I, I think that shows more of the power of the music. I I knew about him, I respected him, I was excited about him, and then he put his album out, and like we just got a lot more closer <laughs> like this year. Um, so. You know, I'm just super excited about that. But it's just it's just a really satisfying album to behold on, like, so many ways, you know. Um, it's got this, like, you know, low-level vibe to it, you know. But it's it's not it, – any his music is anything but low-level. But it's just, like, this current running through that, you know, like I said, you put it on in the morning. You can just chill and relax to it. Like, I feel like, you know, music as therapy, there's power in all these songs. You know, for whatever you're feeling, I feel like there's a song yeah. for it, you know. Um and you know, like you know, like you said, he speaks musically to heaven and earth, um, and it's just brilliant the way he does it. Like he just chose to have this adventure and duality with um, with this album, you know. Um, and you know, I'm really excited to spend some more time with yeah, it on I vinyl. Feel like um, out and just sort of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like from from, from what I could see, them, there, there's the heaven record, and there's yeah. and, and there's the earth record, you know. So I'm excited to put one each one on, you know. Um, and um yeah it just feels like this magical otherworldly adventure um you know especially towards their end there's just a great series of songs that just sort of i think really are just speak for the whole album you know it kind of you know towards the end it fits it hits this amazing like just glorious like um stride you know and it's just those last those last few tracks just um uh like show us the way um is just fantastic um there's this part and um where the on the final track um uh, will you sing you know it's just like fantastic and like the, the song before it they have like there's like this solo uh, refrain where they're going like dear lord dear lord it's kind of like reminds me a bit like John uh, John Coltrane it kind of just goes into the next song will you sing and it's just like this is beautiful just yeah, like great, flow great. through the music and it, it just really like hit me on so many different levels yeah yeah so I, I think it, it definitely deserves there was a number above one I, I think yeah. it should get that number too um, uh, it was just really space, great uh, yeah Traveler's Lullaby is one that I, I, I that's absolutely oh nice. god I love what yeah. he's doing for jazz as well there's like yeah uh, there's a nice hype right. around it and I think people are getting excited about jazz um, because of what he and yeah exactly as they should be what he's doing there so uh, it was enjoyable uh, once again working with you on this project. Hey, I, I, I'd want to note, uh, note yeah, man. Uh, I'm getting a lot of people reaching out to me saying they love the artwork that we uh, paired it with. So great job on Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Uh, so, so cool. Where's um, Thank you. What's your uh, Thank Twitter you. and Instagram on your uh, on your design page again, Lucky Ember? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So you you can hit me up at at Lucky Ember, and there's an underscore between Lucky and Ember. Um, and that, that's just me. Like, I, I, I'm also an artist. And when I'm not writing about music or editing articles or doing my day job as a graphic designer, I like to create my own art and I like to put it up there. So, um, yeah, go check me out at, at underscore, sorry, at lucky underscore Ember, both on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out some of my that's art. Awesome. I think it's pretty that's cool. Awesome. People seem to like it. And I'm going to throw some more out there next year. Awesome yeah. Too. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for making the time, man. Really oh, yeah, definitely. It. Yeah. Really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll of talk course, Mike. Now, to continue this conversation about the music of 2018, I want to invite two hosts of uh, another Osiris podcast on um, Brian Brinkman and Dave Goldstein are their names. They're from Beyond the Pond. Uh, Beyond the Pond is a podcast hosted by two fish fans, that's Brian and Dave, that introduces listeners to a vast array of bands and artists, starting with specific pieces of fish improvisation. The idea is to use their knowledge of music to introduce people to 
to lots of new bands and exciting artists in each episode. Uh, what they're kind of trying to do is fill, um, fill in the musical gaps that they believe uh, the fan base of this one band has. But what, what the show acts as is another place where you can just come upon just a wide variety of all kinds of music. They have eclectic taste and diverse taste in music and and they know their stuff, as you'll see. They really, they really know their music. They put me on to some great stuff. So we got a chance to talk, and uh, here it is. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks so much for uh, making the time. I love your podcast. I love, I love the premise. I love what you do for music. I think it's important. It's you know gets the word out about a lot of incredible artists. So bravo on that. Can you tell us a little bit about Beyond the Pod and? how it was conceived, its goal, and, and also how you two came together. All right, Brian, you want to start off? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, so Beyond the Pond, we're coming up on about two years um, in March of podcasting. Kind of the overall idea of it, um, Dave and I are both huge, huge fish fans, but we find ourselves listening to a ton of other music um, across the spectrum uh, on a regular basis. And if you look at our text pattern, it kind of goes back and forth from this lonely, isolated country music star to this jazz record, to hip hop, to funk, to indie rock, everything. And um, we kind of figured, all right, Fish is a band that has an incredibly diverse musical background as well. Obviously, obviously they're... Um, uh, you know, influences are stretched across the board. Just look at the Halloween albums that they've covered. Um, there's got to be a way to take what Fish does, and from an improvisational standpoint, especially, and kind of introduce a lot of different bands, a lot of different artists, a lot of whom don't get a ton of press in our larger community, um, to help. You know, just kind of spread good music, get people listening to a ton of music, and get people going to shows. And so, kind of the or- the origins were the uh, Camden '99 Chalk Dust Torture that we thought sounded a hell of a lot like LCD Sound System in, on a um, their 2010 record. Uh, this is happening. Brian Eno, David Bowie, um, and we just kind of went from there and had no idea how many episodes we could actually do and here we are 52 episodes in still still coming up with ideas i think uh, think the origins of our friendship in the podcast were uh, relatively active on twitter yeah i think brian his twitter handle is uh, of course suffering juke which was the reference to the Mm -hmm. silver juice song you know we're getting some new work uh next year That's what the rumor is. That's what Bob Blagnostanovich went and told the world and David Berman. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, man, go fuck <laughs> I'm going to trust our man from the spot upstairs. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to happen. But that's cool. So, I think based on that, we started following each other on Twitter. Um, we finally got to meet in person the first time at the first of uh, the two... Fish Wrigley Field, no, the second Fish Wrigley Field show yeah. in 2016, which we've gone on record, is not actually enjoying the show. <laughs> the best part of that show is getting to meet Brian and his lovely wife and chair. A bell is too hard at out in the outfield. Um, and then from there, I 
think it was Brian had an idea for a podcast. We might have spoken to Jonathan Hart of both the HF Pod and the Broke Down Podcast. And, you know, I've been talking to David Goldstein. He's looking to do a podcast. So then Brian um, suggested, hey, I'm kind of interested in doing a podcast that's about fish. The point is introducing other listeners to fish. And I said, wow, that's exactly what I want to do. Make a fish <laughs> podcast. Use that as a gateway to get people to listen to other bands because it's like Bob Weir said that he hates about deadheads. They don't listen to dead. And a lot of fish heads don't listen to fish. They can 200 show veterans will go back, set list, everything can tell you where they were, when something happened, what what went down. Then you ask about the Stone Roses and they look at you like blank faced. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. No, no, there's just too much out there to enjoy. And, and yeah. uh, you know, I, I do think it's really cool what the service, I, I like to call it the service you're doing for fish fans. But this is also something anyone uh, generally can come to you guys and look at your list and listen to your podcast or just see what you're doing and, and just be introduced to all kinds of music. So that's really cool you're doing it in that way. Um, so this podcast is kind of an ode to the music of 2018. Uh, it's another one of those years that, you know, I, I find myself saying it every year. I'm like, man, I can't believe how much good music came out this yeah. year. It's just every year I find myself doing this. And like you guys, I put together a list and whittling that list down has just become a nightmare year in and year out. It's, you know, it is so, so such a plethora of goodness, but uh, I was wondering if you had any general thoughts, each of you, I want to hear from both of you guys, on 2018, the year in music. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway from 2018, compared to a lot of years this decade, um, is there was a lot of really, really good music that came out this year. Um, there was not a single album or a single band that I fell in love with in the ways that I have in years past. Um, I'm thinking, <clears throat> you know, like 2010, uh, I had a total swoon moment over The National after High Violet came out. Uh, yeah. 2014. One, one, of my, one of my favorites, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and 2014 when Lost in the Dream from War on Drugs came out, I mean, those were kind of records and those were years where like I identified around one record that I probably listened to 200 times. This year, I probably listened to 200 albums two to five times, something like that. Um, so it was a lot more widespread. Um, for me, kind of the biggest new style that I've really leaped towards, and I, I, I owe a nod to all of our podcasting brethren, uh, Jesse Jarno of the Ultimate Roots podcast. Um, the music that's coming out of WFMU's radio station uh, specifically this very like psych indie jam scene um, that's that's jammy in the sense of it's, it's almost it took the fork in the road in the early 90s from Grateful Dead, Allman Brothers, Southern Style Rock away from the kind of move towards funk that you see really being kind of the overwhelming genre in the scene. Um, I've really hugged that uh, throughout the entire year. Wow, that's cool. Dave? Yeah, like Brian was saying, I kind of agree. I mean, this year didn't have a Kid A, which is to say, also, I don't think anybody can argue that, I mean, 
over the past eight or nine years, I mean, I think streaming has really kind of altered people's habits in the sense that you're able to have so much access to so much information at once, it kind of almost makes you less likely to want to really, you know, stick with something in terms of growers. But you know, also certainly there were many, many things I liked. Very, I mean, that's probably my favorite album was the one that I did end up playing the most, which um, I guess we can like get to in a little bit. But just to back up what Brian's saying, um, yeah, I agreed. A lot of the bands from like the WFMU scene, I suppose, uh, Garcia Peoples, um, Wet Tuna, particularly this band 111 Heavy, which I like a lot because while they do love the Grateful Dead and kind of jam at times, to me they kind of sound like 80s college rock. Like yeah. the Grateful Dead, they take the Grateful Dead sensibility as like an 80s college rock band that could be like from Athens, Georgia. I think that's a totally excellent and cool spin on it. So yeah, I agree. That stuff is great. Um, hmm. As I love I get, that point that there's, uh, you know, there isn't that one album. I'm actually, while you were saying that, and you know, I was thinking about, it, I was looking over your, uh, both your top twenties and kind of, you know, my countdown of lists, and these are all stunning albums, of course, but there's not that like one. And 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 I guess that goes back to what you were saying, Dave, about the sensibilities of music. There isn't, you know, there's so much I was I was going back to over and over again, but there was also so much coming at you that uh, maybe, you know, maybe one of these will grow into that. But yeah, a great point, you guys. Plus, as I, I, think I tend to get older, I feel that the bands that I like, some of them tend to be more of like the legacy acts, the older guys that have been around for some time, and they're really hitting their stride in like, the age. And I think on my list, I like the Isis record a lot, and those guys are all in their early 20s, despite being on, I think, their fourth album. That was my number three album of the year was Ice Age Beyond List. But other than that, my list tends mm. to skew kind of old. Well, I feel, I feel like a lot mm. of older acts, whether, um, uh, you know, I talk a lot about hip hop, but also a lot of older acts kind of, you know, you know, as established as they were, they were kind of like, just look at, look at what I can still do in a lot of ways. There's, you know, it's, yes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but, but you did mention someone being younger um, I just want to bring this up so it's not lost on us. Uh, you guys mentioned, and, and I want to recommend this episode, episode 51, is it, when you do your year-end review for Beyond the Pond? It's everyone should listen to that. Yeah. It's, it's uh, an yeah. excellent yeah, episode, yeah. and they kind of run down a bunch of different lists. There's a lot of music in it. Everyone go check that out. But at one point, you kind of stop short when you're talking about Culture Walls, uh, who released the album Songs of the Plains. How is he How is he 23? Mm. It's, it's like this, <laughs> that old soul. Like the first time I heard him, I'm like, "There's no way this is it. This is it. yeah." I think I think we all know someone like that, and perhaps not as talented of a songwriter, but I think we all have um, <clears throat> you know people in our lives who just kind of seem timeless. And he's one of those. Like I remember throwing that record on for the first time and just feeling like I was listening to an album that could have been written in the early 20th century. It uh, could have been written in 1963, could have been written in the mid-90s, it could be written 50 years from now. It's just kind of like a, a timeless picture of isolation and um, kind of traveling and, and, and a lot of really, really just remarkable storytelling uh, kind of vignettes that go through that record. Um, that guy is way too young to have that many hellhounds on his trail. 
<laughs> I, I, w- I would say, you know, getting to your, to your point, Michael, about um, there's just, and kind of what we've all been saying here about, there hasn't been that one record. You know, I was thinking going through uh, the recent, you know, Pitchfork's Top 50 of the Year, which used to be just like a complete guide for me in terms of music I need to go after. I've, I've kind of strayed a bit from, you know, part of the direction that they're going in. But I found it really fascinating. I mean, two of my top 10 albums are Casey Musgraves, Golden Hour, and Low Double Negative. And both of those were in their top 10. Um, I think that they had Casey Musgraves as two and Low as eight. And and that kind of signifies for me, like Casey Musgraves is still making a name for herself. I think she opened for Taylor Swift throughout much of this year, but got a ton of love across indie blogs and you know um, uh, countdowns throughout the last month. Low is essentially a legacy act at this point. They've been put they've put out twelve albums over the last twenty years, and um, twenty five years at this point in time, and they made a record that essentially uh, reduced all of their sound down to like a murmur. And it was one of the most fascinating records I heard this year. And you just in a year like this where you don't have that one record. I kind of prefer this to a certain extent as much as you want to find that one record that will stick with you for the rest of your life. You just get a smattering of a ton of different options and I found it a little bit more interesting this year going through my favorite records than probably the last Yeah, years, there's, yeah, years there's a lot to chew on and I mean you said Casey Musgraves we might not have that album mm-hmm. but I mean I'll always have Space Cowboy um, which is just a stunning, stunning track and I mean that low album I don't I don't know yeah. if you guys can think of it right now, but the producer's name, uh, who worked with Bon Iver, uh, you know, there's got to be a lot of credit given there for what he did with Double Negative. That was that was a really unique, like, those soundscapes yeah, were right. crazy. So that was on both of your top 20. I saw that, right? It yeah, was. Yeah, was it at was. 18. Casey Musgraves would have been at like 25. I love the way that album sounds. It's just like a gorgeous... Probably well-produced, lush album. Yeah. Uh, another thing you guys agreed on and just uh, perfectly agreed on was that number nine, you had the new Parquet Quartz album. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I, I can't help but, you know, continually be reminded album after album and every time I see them that they're one of today's most impressive rock bands. Yeah. There's a lot of fire in that belly. I've... Um... <laughs> Funny, Parquet Chorus is always one of those bands that, at least for me, on paper, I should absolutely love. I mean, they touch, everyone writes about them, says, okay, they're punk, they sound like the Minutemen and Modern Lovers and Jonathan Richmond and all this stuff I would absolutely love. And yet, up until the latest record, up until Wide Awake, I always kind of admired them more than actually just enjoying them. Oh, wow. But the new one, from like the second I put it on, I said, okay, yes. this is I get it. where they're connecting, whether it's because of the presence <laughs> of Danger Mouse or, I mean, song after song, and just the trade-off between the like two songwriters, I guess, Austin Brown and, um, what's his name? Like, Savage. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Austin Brown's kind of like the more like swoony Jonathan Richmond singer one. And it's just like more shabby. Absolutely. He's, on, he's, he's touring uh, on his own right now. I'm looking forward to seeing early spring Savage on his own, which is really cool. 
Um, they just played. Didn't they play Hammerstein Ballroom? They did. They did. They, they did it the same night as a, a Yola Tango Hanukkah show I went to, and I had to choose. The, yeah, those Hanukkah shows kill me, so I had to do that. I think I was at that show, so I didn't see Parquet Court. Oh wow, so cool. Either, uh, I was. I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Uh, that was. Yeah, that was the second. That was. I mean, I, I actually, I had to. I had an early morning with my daughter, and I'm rushing out the door, and. Um, What's um uh why am I slipping on their name? The the uh New Orleans um brass band is coming in the door uh what am I I can't think of it right now. Um was it preservation pre- pre- thank you. Preservation Hall is walking I'm like kind of like walking out the door and preservation hall is like doing like a second line type thing into the door. I'm like they really pull out all they pull out all the stops for those. It's just crazy. That was after Yeah. yeah. That was night seven. I had to miss that as well because we had to get home for the babysitter. Yeah, yeah. Damn. So I got to watch Steve Gunn play two songs, yeah. and then we left. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to see Steve Gunn. You got Yola Tango. Like, I mean, that. that I got to meet Steve Gunn. Cool. I saw him downstairs and said, "Hey, Steve, I'm a big fan. Your records are my ultimate Sunday morning albums." And he shook my hand and said, "Thanks, man. That means a lot." That's awesome. So, Steve is a good guy, man. man. That's cool. And he's got a he's got a record coming out here in a couple of weeks. That um, oh yeah. Heard a couple tracks off of it. I think that that's going to be an early, early favorite here on Beyond the Pond. Uh, I do. Wow, that's cool. Uh, I want to bring up a couple early favorites real quick because uh, at the beginning of the year, there was a couple albums that I kept being like, I, you know, remember these come the, the end of the year. And uh, one was mm-hmm. um, uh, Jeff Rogenstock's, uh, Rosenstock's Post yes. and uh, yes. also Ty Siegel's uh, Freedom Goblin. Those were, those were early in the year. And I, I know... Uh, I know you, Brian. You love both those albums. You want to speak on those real quick so we can get some shine. Yeah. Um, so Jeff Rosenstock's post, I was scanning Twitter on, I, I want to say, New Year's Day. Um, and I came across a tweet. I think it was Stephen Hyden, who, um, big shout out, awesome guest for us uh, this uh, this last year. If any of your listeners uh, are into the kind of music that we talk about and they have not read Twilight of the Gods, um, we would highly recommend that. But um, I think he had tweeted, Jeff Rosenstock already makes the case for best song of 2018, like five hours into the year. And it was a link to the song USA. And I threw it on and I was just like, like, you know those moments like you hear a song and you're just like blasted back in your seat and it's like every riff speaks right to you, gives you chills, the lyrics speak right to you. And that was just... Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I've, I'm, a, I'm a bit persnickety about politics right now, um, with, with I think good reason. Um, and uh, and uh, that song just like spoke to like all the adrenaline of where I was feeling. And that album actually stuck with me throughout the entire year. It was I want to say in my top five uh, up until Low and Kurt Vile and Jeff, Jeff the Brotherhood put out records and those just like bumped it out a little bit knocked yeah. me out but yeah um, no definitely uh, but to, then, to piggyback up what you're saying I'll get you on to Ty Siegel is yeah. I, I think it describes kind of the angst of the political climate kind of like there's a lot, lot of music yes. that I think this year kind of was a cathartic release of the political climate that was kind of the angsty reaction to it and that's what I took away from it in the best of ways That's that, that album's fantastic yeah, and, and the thing about I mean, that record, you dig into it, and <clears throat> there's a ton of songs on that record that I absolutely love. Um, TV Stars is a really pretty song that he does, 9 out of 10. Um, and then um, 
the lot the final track i'm blank on the name I, I i think it's called can't be called let them win now, I'm, now i need to figure yeah. it out no <laughs> but uh but but it's like a it's like an 11 minute massive punk build-up um but yeah then ty seagull um put out freedom's goblin i want to say like two weeks into the year and just by nature of the fact that his record label wasn't on wasn't on spotify i had not heard it and i listened to it in i don't know late october when i was starting to try to compile a list of some sorts and uh i probably listened to it 25 times in the last two months of the year i i loved that record that was just yeah, it was kind of one of those. It's it's just a mashup of, of so many different sounds and so many different styles, and um, you know, there's like a underlying thread that goes through there. But you know, Ty Siegel like harkens back to you know Beatles yeah. garage rock from Absolutely. the late '60s, and I just I I'm, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Yeah, I'm a sucker for everything he does. I really I just I saw him, I saw yeah. him doing some acoustic uh, work at Warsaw. I um I mean he put out you know that. Uh, Fudge Sandwich, which has to be one of the best album names of the year. That was a cover, right? <laughs> yes, that is a, it was that all covers. That was the covers album. He also did something with White Fence uh, as well. Uh, David, let's dig into your list a little bit and touch on a couple of things. I noticed um, a lot stands out, of course, but uh, at number five at Foxing, um, it's funny. One of my good, really good friends, he's actually someone who recommends a lot of music uh, to me. Actually, he, I see him hit you guys up at Twitter so much. His name's Corey Sheridan at Just Core. Uh, he texted me when Foxing's record came out, and he said the same thing you guys are talking about. He's like, "This has a lot of TV on the radio going on here." What do you uh, you like that album? You have that at number five. Yeah, it's funny. Got when I first started listening to it, I almost kind of thought they were full of shit. <laughs> I thought, okay, this album is kind of like the guy from like Imagine Dragons wanted to make his difficult fourth album and hired Dave Fridman. But the more I got into it, it's funny. The key track in that song is song five, which is the title track. I would recommend anyone trying to get into that album, listen to that song first. And the rest of the album makes sense. Because it's definitely, I guess they say they're from the third wave of emo, which doesn't mean a heck of a lot to me other than the fact that it's definitely quite melodramatic and swoony. There's a lot of synthesizers, a lot of lots of guitars and synthesizers. Definitely um they don't shy away from like referencing lots of antidepressants and other drugs in the lyrics. But yeah, I mean after I got into it and realized that it was actually um you know, they wanted to willing to go for it and make a big rock record, try to make, I guess, their OK Computer being like the third album breakthrough. Started to think, okay, this kind of does sound a lot like TV on the radio, sort of like Dear Science era, except with uh, huge production and more money. If, like, Dave Sytek could, you know, get out of his own head a bit and try to make a big album. As opposed to, I mean, I have, I guess, TV on the radio. They're going to put something out in 2019, so I'm certainly looking forward to that. But yeah, that Foxing record. Once I, um, once I realized that they were serious, and I got past some of my own self-imposed prejudices, it's uh, 
That's yeah. a major record. I, and you know what? I think I really understand this prejudice. And like, I, I don't even think I was doing it until I heard you talk about that, which was really cool on my end. Um, you gave love to uh, Janelle Monet, Dirty Computer. Funny one, my friends saw that I had him at, or we at Across the Margin had him at fourth. I had her at fourth. She's such a, she's like a national treasure, if you ask me. And he, and he, and he, and oh, yeah. he hit me up and he's like, Janelle Monet. Yeah. At, at four is awesome, but like it's like I still wonder if that's like underrated because like that she that is such a cool album. The influences are you know Prince and it just the things she's talking about that are so progressive. She's so special. And I'm also something money. It's people hear that record and say, well, why can't everybody sound like this? It sounds so good, so pristine. This is expensive. It's not lo-fi, but that's a great record. You can just put that on. That record plays itself. That's a very yeah. enjoyable, like progressive party record you can dance the shit out of. Uh, one more that we um, all uh, are kind of bugging out on, uh, just as opposed to our numbers, um, Spiritualized album. That was special. Yeah, man. Hey, he's Jason Pierce, he albums get born out of frustration. Every <laughs> every press release, every spiritualized album, I think what the one that came out, I want to say, songs in A and E. What the line was that was that he had to overcome double pneumonia to write it, and was undergoing like chemotherapy, but it wasn't cancer. And then the one that came out after that, Sweet Heart, Sweet Light, I think he also almost died when he was making it. <laughs> Jesus. So. so there's a reason when he talks about this being his last record <laughs> that right, it, it exactly. all makes sense. Yeah. And the party line on this one was I played every instrument, everything on Pro Tools myself, yeah. and it took so much out mm -hmm. of me. But I think I'm a big spiritualized fan in terms of his brand of orchestral space rock. I think it's his best album front to back since 1997's Ladies and Gentlemen were floating in space. 20, tw 20 years between the absolute classics, if you ask me. Yeah, Ladies and Gentlemen is one of the best records of the past 20 Yeah, beautiful. So, so beautiful. Yeah, this was one of those <clears throat> examples for me of a record that came out and it threw me on a just complete deep dive. And I think for like 10 days, I listened to nothing but spiritualized. Um, just going like, I mean, I remember this happening for me when uh, Radiohead put out a Moonshaped Pool. And it, it just felt like a record that could be their last album, but also um, is, is such like a unique space in their overall catalog if they continue putting out records. And similar, similar here for Jason Pierce and Spiritualized. Um, it just made me want to hear, to hear his entire collection in chronological order, which is to me a sign when I'm just deadly obsessed with a band that uh, that all I want to hear is one album after another album after another album leading up to their. That next. makes sense. I don't think yeah. he's done. I mean, he's saying it could be the last one. But it's if it is indeed the last one, it's about as good a career over. But it also shows us with you know so much more to offer. And you know what? After those. After you play that game, to use a sports analogy, that just takes it all out of you, you think you're done. But I mean, there's, there's, you know, a period of healing afterwards. I'm, I'm not counting that out. That's, 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 I want more. It's like my mom said, it's like my mom said when I was going to Coventry, nobody breaks up anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 you know, anyone said it's the end. It's, you know, things change and everything like that. Can you both speak? 
there's the uh, on your number one album. Um, I just want to hear, you know, uh, uh, either one go first, but you both have different number one albums of the year, and I want to hear about it. Brian, first. Sure. <laughs> um, so my number one album really speaks to kind of everything I've been talking about this year. Um, it's a record that came out of completely nowhere for me. It's a band I didn't have a really big relationship with uh, prior to this year. Um, and it kind of fit in with the kind of woozy extended jams on kind of psychedelic indie rock type of uh, music that's just been digging a hole in my ear. And that's Jeff the Brotherhood's Magic Songs. And this came out in <clears throat> early September. And there really wasn't a period in time for the final four months of the year where I didn't want to play it. And it was kind of one of those records the only record that really compared for me with this this year was Lowe's Double Negative in the sense that I still, every time I put those records on, I've probably listened 30 times now, there's still a part of me that wonders what's coming next, even if what comes next, I, I, I know once it happens and it makes sense and it sounds familiar. And, and so it, to tie it to Fish, you know, it's, it's to me like how I felt the first time I listened to like the ACDC bag from Boise, Idaho or the Crossside and Painless from Burgettstown in 2003, the jams that every time I listened to them, I found myself surprised and really satisfied with how, whatever direction it was going in. And so it was definitely an earworm album for me that, you know, I, I could never have predicted at the start of this year. Um, Halfway through the year, my favorite record was Beach House's Seven, which I was really happy with them finally taking the top spot for me. And um, it got knocked down a little bit, not because I didn't like it, but just, you know, records like this came along that just fascinated me the last quarter. Of that the was year. awesome. If you slipped in a Burgestown uh, cross side, that's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, hey, Dave, what do you got? I recall distinctly when Brian texted me about that Jeff the Brotherhood album. I was in the Macy's and 34th Street <laughs> buying a suit. I love how specific that is. <laughs> and I took my first saying like, holy fucking shit, it's just a brotherhood album. And I think I wrote back, those are those stoners who produced that great Colleen Green album in 2015. And then he said, so you gotta hear this. So anyway, uh, my number one album, I picked an album that it doesn't break any new ground. It's not particularly, uh, it's not very original, but in terms of something I could play just anytime and lower my pulse and make me feel good about the world for a few moments would be the fifth album by the band of Wooden Ships, uh, which is called Five, like the Roman numeral V. The front man, Ripley Johnson, he's also in the band Moon Duo with his wife. And they kind of, they're sort of the flip side of wooden ships in the sense that uh, they both thrive on repetition, whereas Moon Duo is a bit more icy, a bit more crap rock shoegaze, wooden ships, stock and trade is just basically guitar heavy, shaggy psychedelic rock that seems the band mellows out with every successive album. And in terms of something I could put on in the car, Run at home, put on something my wife would enjoy. And it was just, it lowered my pulse with perfectly executed psychedelic rock songs with lots of fuzz, lots of organ, 
little unique guitar solos, just mellow vocals. It was just 37 minutes of very well put together music. It just, I found it incredibly pleasant. Maybe being a 39 year old dad living in the city, sometimes all I'm asking for is something well executed, pleasant and well produced. And it checked all those boxes. And I would either recommend that record, the one they put out before that, Back to Land, is also similarly excellent. Uh, they used to be, the earlier records were a bit more um, like Velvet Underground, Sister Ray style, like yeah. Noise Freakouts. Which are, which is, that's a high praise as well. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But as the front man's beard has gotten larger and grayer, more, more, more pacification uh, <laughs> music. And I like that. You mentioned, you guys, I love the way you guys talk about music, but, uh, the, the, you know, the lowering the pulse, you know, it's something I kept going back to, kind of the catharsis of a lot of rock this year. And, and I gotta, I gotta give you guys praise. Your guys' lists are awesome. I really want anyone out there to take a look. I, I know you're gonna, there's a lot of discovery there and, you know, there's just, there's so much goodness there. So bravo on both of those. Before uh, we kind of wrap up uh, here, I do want to talk, we're both, we're all live music junkies here. Uh, uh, can you know? I keep putting you on the spot, but that's what, what this is about. Um, can we talk a little bit about some of our li favorite live shows of the year? Yeah, absolutely. Who's up first? Let's start with Dave. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, my favorite two live shows were um, both by guys who were older than my dad that I had to check off my list, and I finally did, and I was lived up to every expectation I had, and then some. I saw, saw Neil Young and Promise of the Real at uh, the Capitol Theater in Portchester, which was a pretty small venue for Neil Young. That was, I should say, it was my second time seeing him. I actually saw him at Farm Aid this year in Hartford's the first time. But second time, I mean, first time seeing him as a headliner. And, you know, I've heard with Neil Young live shows, you have to catch him on the right night. Sometimes it's transcendent. Sometimes he's not into it. And this show was transcendent. This was just every, this is how I picture Neil Young live in my head and him just bending over old black, like peeling out peels of noise. Fuck. It was incredibly yes. varied set list. He played three songs back to back to back from the Tonight's Tonight album, which could be my favorite rock album of all time. So if somehow there's like a soundboard copy of the show and you hear some guy like, yelling, holy fucking shit, Albuquerque. <laughs> and the other show from an old guy was Nick Cave and the Bad Seats at Barclays Center. Oh, cool. Did he crush Barclays? I saw him do Kings recently. It was one of the best times I've had at a concert in a long time. Yeah, I was surprised when Barclays was part of the tour itinerary because I thought basketball arena, even for a guy's old distinguishes Nick Cave would kind of be a bit of a hard sell. And while, um, you know, part of it was curtained off, it was still surprisingly full. And he just, I think he's 68 years old, and he has a vim and vigor and energy and theatricality. It was just a live show front to back that just blew me away. He's kind of like a preacher out there, kind of like walking like around the crowd. It just, I, yeah, I was taken by him on so many different levels. I was, I was like captivated the whole time. I, I it's, I don't know that, that I'm not surprised that blew blew you away. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a guy. Next time he comes around, it's just like a must. Like the day tickets go on sale. Who's? 
I was, I, I, I hate asking this question. Like, who's his, uh, his guitarist he plays with? Does you guys, do, do you know his name? He's always um, he plays like the mandolin. Sometimes he feel, I feel like kind of like oh, yeah. Ty uh, Siegel's got his, you know, his secret re- weapon in like Michael Cronin. I feel like Nick Cave has a secret weapon and yeah, he's like Consiglierius. Um, it's Warren Ellis. What a, what a genius he is to see when you see Nick Cave. You get him as well. Just a just a treasure yes, of an yeah. artist. Him and his incredible beard, yep. beating the shadow of the mandolin. <laughs> yeah, mandolin, guitar, <laughs> harpsichord. <clears throat> he's got has a, a percussionist who's one of his only jobs to just play like this gigantic chime yep. during like the red right hand. Yeah, like, oh, that's a good gig. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good gig. Brian, what, what blew your mind this year? So this year, I, I did not see as much live music as I would have liked to. I moved it halfway across the country and uh, focused on that for a bit. But I did see two shows that um, fit kind of in line with what we've been talking about throughout the year in terms of really just for me, like, I if you had told me at the end of 2017 I'd be into the music as much as I am that I'm into right now, I wouldn't have believed you. So uh, first I saw my first show in Denver at this little venue called Lost Lake, uh, I saw Ron Gallo, who was um, Dave's number two album of 2017. Yes. Uh, and he is... Not 2018, he did better record this year. Yeah, he is, uh, I think his record last year was called Heavy Meta. Yeah. Um, he's like just a squirrely little fella who plays really, really ridiculous guitar, um, has an insane amount of energy on stage, um, really irreverent, really humorous, almost operates like a stand-up comedian when he's when he's uh, um, in in a live setting, and um, just some fantastic lo-fi garage punk rock that I absolutely loved. Um, he ended his set with like a 15-minute thrash on uh, Life During Wartime, and did you know the running in place like like Burn does and. Um, there was a, a, a small little group out of, um, uh, I think it's Boone, North Carolina, that opened for him called The Nude Party that I liked quite a bit. Uh, they put out a record later in the summer that um, is very much of a homage of 60s, Kinks era, um, 1967, Summer of Love, uh, psychedelic folk music. And um, the, that those two combined for just a really, really memorable night early on in my time here. And then... Yeah, and then fast forward to the summer, um, I went with my dad uh, and saw Umphreys McGee at Red Rocks, and um, for anybody who knows me, up until that evening, I was not super into Umphreys McGee. Um, Umphreys blew your mind at Red Rocks, I love it. Blew my mind. I, I always respected what they did, I'd seen them a few times, and for whatever reason, I never got into it, I think it was... Um, you know, I, I may have thrown around accusations that they played too many notes, that there wasn't enough soul in there. And uh, Dave definitely helped me by kind of passing me along five or six really key jams I should check out. A huge shout out to the, uh, I think it's February 20th, 2014 version of, what am, I, what am I thinking of, Dave? What's the song? Much Obliged. Much Obliged, thank you. That, uh, that was like my first like key into it of I, I kept texting him like holy crap do they do this all the time you know they like took a jam from a previous show and applied it onto that song and, um 
Anyway, that show, I was eighth row, dead center. Um, the sound at Red Rocks is everything that it's advertised. It's like you're listening through the best headphones ever. Um, and they just played a really, really cool set list. They played some you know, huge songs, like I got Ocean Billy to close out the first set. There was a Wappy Sprayberry in the second set. They encored it all in time. Um, it was just that kind of moment where you're seeing a band that you've always kind of thought I should be into, but I don't know what's not doing it. And finally everything clicks. And, you know, I ended the year probably listening to the entirety of Humphrey's remainder of their summer tour, their fall tour, and then going back through 2018. And I've been kind of like slowly but surely putting the pieces together of their history. And um, it's been a really, really enjoyable prize musically from this year. That's so cool. The, the listeners are going to want to know, what did your dad think? So the funny thing is my dad, uh, <laughs> my dad loves Humphreys McGee. He's seen like 20 shows. Um, so hmm. my dad was in. I did not expect, I did not expect no, that. Yeah. So my, my, my dad uh, used to be in. Um, you, he, you were the new. I was. You brought along the it was, it was. It was funny for him because he was like, you get it now, you get it. Uh, my dad, my dad was in Bible study with Joel Cummings' dad. And, um, and so his dad, you know, at one point, maybe 10 years ago was like, Hey, my son plays in the band. They're playing a show in Chicago. Come and check it out. And my dad has been raving about Humphreys McGee since like 2007 and was going and sitting VIP with like the friends and family section for 10 years. And he actually flew out to Denver to see them with me. So he knew the songs. He knew what was happening. Um, I returned the favor by taking him to fish Halloween and blowing his mind with uh, Caswell Fox. So uh, the, the favor yeah. was, was exchanged though, between the two of us. <laughs> very, very uh, perfectly so. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, on my end, just because I want to throw yes, in the please, mix. Yes, please, uh, David Bo, uh, Burns, um, just to kind of go with you, David, you know, an older act I've, I've been dying to see. I've, I've never uh, seen David Byrne before. American Utopia tour just blew my mind. Saw that at King's Theater. Uh, and the other one that just blew my mind, and it's hard because uh, like Nine Inch Nails at Radio City floored me. O- OCs at Warsaw blew my mind. A couple others, but um, the the last 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 waltz show at the Capitol Theater with Joe Russo, Scott Metzger, Lola Kirk, Waxahachie, Kevin Morby, Marco Benevento, Nels Klein, Sam Cohen. Uh, who else is there? Nicole Atkins, Craig. Been, uh, Double D from Wayne. That was uh, just music bliss for me. Um, I was really happy to see Kevin Morby and Waxahachie uh, join that group with like Joe Russo. I, I feel like I definitely absolutely. saw on Twitter the next morning a lot of surprise about how great Kevin Morby is. I mean, he he kind of you know uh, straddles that you know. That kind of barrier between indie singer songwriter and a little bit more psychedelic with his with his uh, yep. past um, uh, playing with Wood. So I, I liked that a lot. Yeah, he got the prime time spot that evening. He, did. he got he like the Dylan. the Dylan song. He got the Dylan songs at the end, which was really amazing. And I'm glad, uh, kind of just throw this in before we end that you mentioned Kevin Morby and Waxahachie because one yeah. of the favorite things uh, I think we were even uh, on Twitter today talking about was their ode to Jason Molina when they played Farewell Transmission and The Dark Don't Hide It this year. That was really special for me just, as well. Uh, that's just maybe my favorite two songs of the year. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you guys, uh, I mean it. Thank you for 
being here today talking about music with me and also for what you do. I, I mean, not only like I was saying earlier to the fish community, but I think you shouting out all this different music is so good for music and for all the artists and just kind of making sure that people are, you know, realizing how amazing this time we, you know, that's happening right here. And you guys do a great job. So keep it, keep it up is what I'm saying. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate your support and we love what you guys do. And we're just, thank we're thrilled to be a part of a larger network at Osiris with you, man. This is awesome. Fantastic. Thank you guys. And, uh, and uh, we'll talk soon. Let's, let's do something together again as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. There you have it. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you next year. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.